And our program continues. We welcome into the studio uh, the Bob Match. Jeff Schlemmer on his way, we understand, but uh, Robert's here for our weekly left, right, and center segment. Nice to have you here. Thank you. I'm uh, okay. Uh, are you wet? Was it raining when you came in? It's on and off. Is I it? just got through without any rain. So there's uh, no, there's no. It's not thundering and no, not crashing yet. and banging yet. No, yeah, no. <laughs> yeah. As I said, we expect that Jeff is on his way. So we're, but we're going to press on here. And I, I want to uh, uh, start to take a look at this. The first issue that I wanted to put before our guests, it is the announcement from the Supreme Court of Canada relative to uh, um, divorce in this country. Now, we talked about this some weeks ago, that this was uh, an upcoming case. This is the story of the fellow who had cheated on his wife and eventually left her, and they got divorced, and he married somebody else. And and uh, she has been unable to work ever since and uh, has demanded um, not not hefty um so, uh, uh, maintenance payments. Uh, well, I guess it depends how much he earns. He says they're very hefty now. In any case, uh, the reason why she, uh, why this all came to court, was she has claimed that she is unable to work. She's unable to look after herself at all because of her heartbreak over the fact that he cheated on her. Now, under Canada's no-fault divorce laws, uh, as I understand it, at the time they were divorced, that was to have no bearing in any kind of settlement. The causes, because no fault, right? The cause has nothing to do with anything. Well, she got a lawyer who disagreed with that and thought he could keep the keep the money flowing. And and if I sound like I'm a little biased on this, I am a little biased. I'm I'm not pleased with this ruling. However, uh, it went up through various levels of court, and the various levels of court upheld her right to this money and said, well, yes, she's been devastated by the fact that he cheated on her, and and uh, she's too bitter to work, and so he has to support her completely. I guess, for the rest of her life. Um, he eventually, he fought it all the way to the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court has announced today, now I haven't got the whole judgment in, uh, in front of me, just the uh, the CTV Newswire thing, uh, but it says that the emotional consequences of a spouse's misconduct can be weighed by the courts when judging spousal support payments, in spite of Canada's system of no-fault divorce. So what it means is, is what I take it to mean is that uh, this guy's going to keep paying because the, the the big part of her grounds for needing this money from him was that she couldn't work because she was too bitter. She just did a distorted life. She was too bitter. She was her whole life was distorted. She couldn't. She just couldn't face reality. Her husband had cheated on her. Blah 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 blah. Um, I, I'm and I shouldn't say blah 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 because it's very serious to her obviously. And it went all the way to the Supreme Court of Canada. Um, what this will ultimately mean for other people. Seeking divorce, I don't know, and and the experts are divided on that too. Um, the uh, the court, the, the Supreme Court, has has very clearly said that you, it is within the purview of the judge to look at all of the circumstances surrounding the breakup, and when he's trying to decide or award uh, uh, support to one uh, party or the other. Um, Bob, to me, this is kind of a it's outrageous, Jim. Well, okay, yeah. I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll go it. along with that. Outrageous. It's outrageous. Yeah. Uh, that means there's a difference between two victims who suffered the exact same separation or divorce, but one didn't react emotionally and the other one did, so the poor guy who had the emotional partner is on the hook. Mm-hmm. That's just outrageous, and it gives, it speaks more to the idiocy of our courts and the way they take the wrong things into account. Surely our justice system at its heart, especially in commissions of crime, where, where you, there is tremendous emotional, um, you know, fallout from losing a loved one in a car accident or a murder or, or something like that. That's built into the system, is what we put into 
you know, our system for punishment to take those things into account, because otherwise we didn't value life and our relationships and contracts. We wouldn't be in a court in the first place. Mm-hmm. So, but to add to that whole dimension, the concept that, well, you know, the person has heartbreak and can't work, well, I'm, if that's true, I'll get over it. That's all I can say, and it's your responsibility to get over it, well, not somebody else's. It's just that simple. The courts have now said it's not that simple. The courts have said that the judge can take it into account. And here's what complicates the story more. Now, granted, all I have here, and, and this echoes what we already knew about, what I already knew about the case, but this is in the CTV um, uh, story as well. Um, Sherry is her name, Sherry Leskin, Gary and Sherry. I bet that was cute when they were married, eh? Gary and mm-hmm. Sherry. Anyway, they had uh, been together for 20 years. He was an accountant. He accepted a job in uh, Chicago in 1998. She apparently had worked at a bank and helped to support him while he became a CGA, a certified general accountant. He would have been a bookkeeper or something, and she helped him. And she's 10 years older than he is, if that makes any difference. I don't know. But she's 10 years older than him. And uh, a few months after he moved to Chicago, he informed his wife that he wanted a divorce. He'd met. She didn't move with him. She stayed. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know why, but she stayed behind to settle up the house or who knows what. Uh, he'd met someone else and wanted a divorce. Well, he got the divorce. The the other sort of potentially pertinent details here about the same time, and it says here. This is, was my understanding too. I, I never saw the exact dates, but about the same time, about the same time, she quit her job at at the bank where she worked because she'd applied for long term disability uh, due to a back problem and was turned down. Now, I have great sympathy for that because back problems are not always easy to diagnose. That explains the whole. That, that explains the complete decision of the court right there. You think that's what it is? Yep. Because the courts today are doing this in every aspect. They're doing it in landlord-tenant relations. They're doing it in all sorts of situations where they find that uh, the state has been overburdened with its commitment to look after injured people. I mean, that should be under socialized medicine. You'd think they'd take care of that kind of thing, wouldn't, wouldn't they? Well, they're supposed to look after Well, something. they don't. And so the judges who work for the government are now forcing the private market to do what the government has committed to do. Well, here's another... St- and that's just what you're seeing as but a symptom of that. Here's yeah. another thing. She was offered another job at the bank, uh, but she had to, to be retrained. And instead of doing that, she took an $88,000 severance package. Now, maybe she'd worked there for a long time. $88,000 mm-hmm. may have been an appropriate severance package. I don't know, but she took that. Uh, when the divorce was granted in 1999, she got half the family assets. It doesn't say what they were, as well as twenty two fifty a month in support payments. He went back to court to try to get them reduced because uh, um, his wife, he said, hadn't done anything to try to improve her lot in life. He was unemployed, although he had assets worth a million dollars, they said. A million dollars isn't what it used to be either. Uh, and he was unemployed at the time, and uh, the judge said, well, no, we don't think so, and this has gone all the way to the top. Now, that's a whole other issue in my way of thinking. Well, We're talking it, about you know, spousal support, which is another bad concept, in fact, because it assumes... But she, but she had worked for years to put this guy through school. I mean, doesn't that count for anything? Well, did she have a contract? Did she put something in writing that if you go to school... Yes, yeah, they had a marriage or, contract. Or, well, that's a for separate better, issue. For better or for worse. <laughs> yeah, well, they you know, got for it for worse. For richer or for Therefore, poorer. she got the terms of her contract. Till death do us part. <laughs> and neither one of them is dead yet. No, no none of those things really matter. Um, what really matters is is the facts of the issue. And, you know, I know people where the, the spouse that left was the more emotionally distraught one. Mm-hmm. Should the person left behind, you know, be able to, to, to go after them? Or, or, you know, it becomes ridiculous when, when you think of it in that way. And the issue of spousal support, whether a man supports a woman after a marriage or the other way around, I, I certainly believe in supporting children. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, that's a for sure. 
But the spouse, no, unless there's some really extenuating circumstance or a previous agreement. Well, what about this? What about this scenario? You, you assume everyone's an equal. You yeah, assume but this that uh, you know women fought for equality and suffrage and rights and all that stuff. And Ooh, now, ouch. Yeah, you know, <laughs> oh, now they got them. Oh boy, they're cringing now. Oh, you bet. They're cringing now. But I was going to say, you know, some people would say situations. There are some situations where where uh, child support, notwithstanding, where the quality of life of the child is diminished if if the spouses are expected to be equally self-sufficient that for example yeah, but is that expe- expectation realistic is it ex- is it realistic in the world of reality never mind fantasy world to expect life to go on as good as it did before when 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 what made life good before was the basis of the relationship that just broke up yeah. it's a contradiction in terms to even expect such a thing and i think it's all comes from uh, people who want something for nothing, you know, and I realize there's a lot of emotion behind it, and that's why we make laws when we're away from our emotions, when we look at the principles of things, so that we, when the emotions come to fore, we have a way of dealing with them and not dragging the emotions into the whole debate, which is where they do not belong. At the point of crisis, I mean, you know. So at the end of the day, then, you think this is going to complicate things a whole lot? Oh, well, certainly. Family law is a disaster in this country. I, it's, it's one of the things I feel most incapable of doing anything about. I have more people on an individual basis tell me horror stories, mm-hmm. from everything from custody to children's aid. I to have to say I get the same kinds of stories sure. from the equally wide... Amazing, yeah. amazing, amazingly bad laws we have. And, and just where do you start? Well, are they, uh, I mean, there's so but, many fundamentally but, wrong assumptions. But, Bob, are the, laws, are the laws bad or... And I sometimes wonder this, because I do hear this a lot, or do you and I, by virtue of our position, you're working with Freedom Party and me being in the media, do we simply get the folks who feel that you know, they've exhausted all other avenues and come to us with the worst tales of wool. Well, there's no question that that's, that's part of it. But at the same time, you have to look at the bigger picture. At least I do, and I'm sure you do in your profession as well. You don't just listen to the one or two squeaky wheels. Mm-hmm. You've got to look at the, at the car, too. Mm-hmm. You yeah. Know? yeah. <laughs> uh, let's just slip back to something we covered earlier this week just to get... I think I already know what you're going to say. This was the story about... Um, about support for kids for adult children who refused to have anything to do with the supporting parent, and there's a, 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 a for adult children. Adult children, uh, specifically, they were talking about higher education, where parents, some parents, are required to provide for the higher education of their children. And a lawyer in Toronto, Epstein, I think his name was, had published something in the Law Review or the Law Journal that apparently had stirred up a lot of lawyers, and he had said that there should be some consideration given to the fact or given to uh, the reality of the situations where. The child said, uh, uh, I, don't, I don't want nothing to do with my father or my mother, whoever is paying the bill. Um, if, in fact, part of that uh, uh, estrangement had to do with the other partner bad-mouthing them. Like, uh, they had a phrase for it. What was the phrase for it? Um, I can't. Verbal abuse, you mean? No, no, but, thing, but, but just uh, run, running down the other partner. But they had a, they had an interesting phrase, and I can't think what the phrase was. Anyway, it was a bad mouth. You know, well, your father's an idiot, and he's a jerk, and he's this, and he's that, and you should hate him because he's, you know, and all okay. this sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. And at the end of that process, the kid says, I want nothing to do with my father. However, keep those checks coming, Dad, because I'm going back for my Ph.D. now. And this lawyer was saying that he thought that the law needed to be re- revisited, and apparently a lot of family law lawyers said, nonsense, nonsense. This, this is still a child. is still, you know, subject to uh, the father still has responsibilities. 
or the mother still has responsibilities here. Well, is he a child or not? You, you use the term adult children. Uh, that's a contradiction in terms. You're either an adult or you're a child. Well, it's the phrase that was used in the article. Well, again, you see, when you see the when you see language used in such bastardized ways, you can't even make sense. But of what do you say? Issues. If you don't say an adult child, what are you? Well, you're either an adult or you're a child. No, no, if but you're I mean, an adult, you're self-responsible. No, no, but I mean, with, you with reference to your parent. I mean, I am. Well, I it's am, a relationship, but it's. I'm always a, my father's child, course, even if I'm an adult. In law, your parents don't have a perpetual. Uh, your parents aren't alive anymore, I understand, yeah. but they don't have a yeah. perpetual uh, debt to you just because you are their offspring by blood. That's that's outrageous. Well, um, you know, and if you're an adult, you're responsible. I don't even think a parent has a responsibility to an adult child, quote. So it should be... In terms of what the law would do. There might be a moral one there. Right. Yes, yeah. It's a whole other issue. So if your kid comes to you and says, listen, I want to go to university and, uh, and I want you to pay for it, you as a parent should have the right to say, no, I don't think that's in your best interest or mine? Well, you may not even have the ability. But, even if, you ha- but if you had the ability? Yes, of course you have st- the right to say no. Absolutely. Say, no, I don't want to do that. <laughs> of course. Because I, I thought, you know, I, I, I read the story and I thought, try to put myself in that position, that would be pretty tragic to have be so alienated from your child in the first place. Absolutely. But, I agree. But... But but one of the arguments that was made was well if the marriage hadn't split up then the child you know then the child would have gone to university on on the parents ticket and I read it and thought well not necessarily not necessarily there are parents I know parents who have given their kids very modest help for higher education a little bit but said you know you've got to work for it you've got to earn it it's not mm-hmm. enough just to go to school and and, and well, be a full time student that's a dangerous place to go you know there are no future facts and when you start awarding awards on things that you assume might be a fact in the future and that's just a, a wild guess in the dark anyway because you have no way of knowing whether that person would in fact have fulfilled your expectation I mean that's all it is alright we're going to pause for a second Bob Matz our guest today Jeff Schlemmer is mysteriously missing in action yeah. but uh, he may yet turn up uh, even if he does not although we will miss him we will press on you're listening to the Jim Chapman News Hour 94.9 CHRW Bob Metz with us today on the program, and Jeff Schlemmer, uh, MIA. But uh, wherever he is, we wish him the best. <laughs> He's hiding under a tree somewhere in the middle of a, of a thunderstorm, probably. Oh, he wouldn't do that, would he? I don't think Oh, he's a lawyer. He's liable to do anything. He'd sue. Yeah, he probably <laughs> uh, Bob Metz with us today, and uh, I want to... I want to just touch on a, uh, not so much the story, because I know what your opinion is on this. You've, you've, you've shared your opinion with this before. This is the uh, anti-ballistic missile plan of the Americans, and I've said publicly that I think it's not about rogue states like North Korea. It's about 20 years down the road, and it's countries like China and potentially India and some other countries that the Americans want to have some kind of a technological way to avoid being blackmailed by somebody. So, who's sort said, of Star Wars you're well, talking about here. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. yeah and, I, and, I, and I thought you had said once before that you uh, agreed that there are bigger threats out there than North Korea that might make this oh, not, not a bad idea. Mm-hmm. Um, McKenna, uh, Frank McKenna, um, who was a very prominent liberal, as you know, and uh, had been touted for the leadership of the party, although he decided not to run, um, has uh, is part of a policy group within the Liberal Party, and he has urged his fellow liberals to sign on to the missile plan. Now, what I find interesting here, this is the second story we've done today. The first one, uh, you were uh, probably on your way up, you maybe didn't hear it, Bob, but we talked about uh, Glenn Murray, the former liberal mayor of uh, Winnipeg, I think, who Paul Martin appointed mm-hmm. to their environment, uh, whatever it was, the, the study that they were doing, and got a lot of flack for that. Well, they're, they they've reported, and they said, yeah, basically, Kyoto, no, we can do it on our own in Canada, and there are better solutions. So I said, it was kind of surprising. It was so far from what we expected from a liberal-appointed uh, 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 committee. And here's another prominent liberal who's 
seriously breaking ranks with the Martin era. Uh, are these things, do you think, signs that there is a, a genuine resurgence of any sort in the Liberal Party? Uh, maybe there's a handful of them that are trying to grasp onto something that the public might actually support. I don't know. <laughs> but but it, if you're taking the two issues as two separate things, you're asking me more about the trend in the liberals being against what their party well, is. Well, it's just, uh, it, it, you know, it's a, traditionally, here's, here's two very large issues, the environment mm-hmm. and this liberal appointment. Not, it's not entirely liberal-packed, but this liberal organization. Um the name of which is the... Do you the think they're testing the waters to see if, uh, you know, because I think these are two issues where the Liberals made a big faux pas in terms of going the wrong direction could, on them. Could be. The name is the National Roundtable on the Environment and Energy. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, it, it may be. And Kyoto was entirely misdirected and mis... I don't know about the missiles, though. I, I'm, yeah. I'm st- I still talk to lots and lots and lots of people who just think it's pie-in-the-sky nonsense, waste of money, and, oh, and, no. and don't you, see beyond it. I hardly recommend everyone visit... Freedom Party site, freedomparty.org, not the political one, the non-political one. And there's an article there by historian, local historian, UWO professor Ken Hilborn, called Taken by Surprise. And it's all about the necessity of having such a thing and Mm -hmm. the reasons why. And it's not just that you're you're thinking about the bigger states in China. Because the the title of the article says it all, you know, taken by surprise. We will never know. Just like we didn't expect Mm 9-11 on the day it happened, okay? And he's been following wars from the front lines in Vietnam and stuff like that, right? And he says, even as a historian and a frontline guy, he could never predict, he would never have predicted what's going on in the Mideast today, for example, 20 years ago kind of thing, yeah. you know? And so there's no way to predict, predict those things. And he also argues that to have that kind of missile defense in place is more than just going to, you know, telling the big countries, watch out. But all those little rogue states, they stop investing in simple... Uh, missile platforms and things like that, which are apparently getting easier and easier to move around. You can apparently launch a pretty deadly missile just from a truck. Well, you, you can uh, intermediate range ones, yes, they yeah, have Yeah, and now. they're getting to be long range ones yeah. now, too. Yeah. So, if they knew that to invest in that kind of a technology was a waste of their time because anything they shot would just be shot down instantly at the speed of light, mm-hmm. uh, they wouldn't bother. You see, that's that would be a great deterrent in that sense. So and, uh, you know, let's face it, one of the few legitimate functions of government that I support is, is the military. That's a legitimate thing the government's there to do. Bob Metz, our guest today on Left, Right, and Center. Um, Jeff Schlemmer will, we hope, join us again next week. Um, there's another story uh, that I covered earlier, and I'll get your thoughts on it, too. The uh, government's decision to uh, uh, offer some reparations for the head tax that Chinese paid uh, in the, the last but one century, in the 19th century and early mm-hmm. 20th, 20th century. Um, for a variety of political reasons, Mr. Harper has decided they're going to offer some payment to the... Uh, there are a few of these people left. Few, there are still a few alive. Some recompense to them and their children and so on. And I said earlier that I'm a little troubled by that because I'm concerned that it opens the floodgates for every every ethnic or national group that uh, has a grievance, real or otherwise, uh, well, against the Canadian government. you think those floodgates are already wide open right now? Well, this is just going to open them a lot more, I would think. You know, you know our, all of our governments at every level are abandoning justice in favor of compensation. We're seeing this in Caledonia. We're seeing it with the federal government and the issue just raised. They're just buying out people, and nobody gets justice. And that's the huge problem that we're seeing today is that you can compensate people for damage, but if you don't deter the people who are doing the damages or there's nothing there, compensation is going to go on forever. Government today is in the insurance business, not in the, in, the, in the justice business anymore, and I think that's a huge fault 
in the structure of our government today, and, and it will lead to all sorts of calamities. And I agree with you. If you start paying a head tax on every injustice a past government has done in the name of today's just government, that's absurd, because you'd be going back ad infinitum into history. There's an interesting uh, um, little sidebar in the story uh, in the National Post. They covered this. There are a bunch of stories this morning about this, but they covered it, and they talked about the bandwagon, some of the victims that might climb on, um, one of them being the Toronto Maple Leafs. <laughs> Uh, they they <laughs> define their complaint as being they're a famous hockey team that has endured decades of mockery over their inability to win the Stanley Cup, make the finals, scout good players, or remotely justify the ludicrous prices demanded for tickets, and they want compensation. We'll there pause for just a moment. <laughs> We're coming back with more on the Jim Chapman News Hour. Bob Metz with us today on the program. Uh, Jim Chapman here. And uh, I... I... I, I yeah, I'm going to ask you this question. There's a, the chief of police, Murray Faulkner, was quoted yesterday as saying that he thought landlords should have some responsibility for people who run grow houses in their properties. And uh, I, I really had to wrestle with this, and I'm still kind of wrestling with it. On the one hand, what the chief said was that your responsibility as a property owner does not end when you rent the unit, uh, that you do have a responsibility uh, to your tenant to ensure that the unit is safe and so on and so on. And a lot of other, you know, I didn't think unreasonable suggestions why you might have some idea what was going on if the if the windows were blacked out and the neighbors said there was nobody coming and going, you know, all the, mm-hmm. all the litany of stuff. But I was balanced out by the idea that, gosh, here we go again, or do we go again, uh, trying to make somebody else responsible. Do you think there's any kind of a balancing act on, on that issue at all? When they come up with a suggestion like that, it's very alarming because technically the, they already have the right to keep the landlord responsible. And if, when they can prove that the guy knew about it and, and was a, an active participant in the illegal act, which, by the way, shouldn't be illegal in the first place, but that's another issue because <laughs> that's the problem, okay? Um, but Well, uh, you could extend it from grow houses to to crystal meth labs and still make the same argument. I think the, I think the argument stays the same. Yeah, well, as far as holding a third party responsible yeah. for something that the government regards as illegal, you yeah. know, and, and you just can't do that arbitrarily because by putting a law like this in place, what they're doing is bypassing the necessity of having to prove any responsibility on the part of the landlord and then being able to say, ipso facto, oh, it's in the legislation, therefore, uh, if we find a grow house or a grow operation in your house, you are partially responsible. It's the same logic they used for tavern owners when it came to... Uh, you know, being responsible for the drinking their patrons would do even after the fact. I know one guy who drove a, drove the drunk home, put him in his bed, and was still held responsible for what that guy did after he got out of bed. You know, that's that's how bad it is, and it's part of the same trend I was talking to you about before. The the the, the we're becoming a more fascist nation now, basically, and we're holding individuals responsible. Now that's a, that's a very loaded word, though. It that, is. It means government imposition of its responsibilities and even controls on the private sector like it should be the government's job to and you know the police should be looking after justice not turning neighbors against neighbors and schnitzes and 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 turning people into police you know i i sympathize for the bar owners who are told they've got to keep these bikers out of their bars if they smoke you know like it's you got to kick them out yeah right i'm going to kick out a 10-foot guy <laughs> you know and, and the police just 
there's no police protection anymore in that sense. Well, that was one of the things that troubled me about uh, about uh, the comments the other day uh, was this idea that you, as a landlord, you know, could go into the property, even go on the property. Uh, if I had rented a property, well, I, I suppose the the, the 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 argument was that if you thought there was a problem, you should phone the cops anyway. But uh, I've rented to tenants in the past when I was a landlord, which I'm not anymore. I've rented to tenants that I would certainly have hesitated to impose my presence on. Well, you know, sure. <laughs> without without having a cop beside me, and uh, and from the tenant's point of view, I got to tell you, you know, it, it doesn't take a burglar to come into your house to feel violated. I feel violated every time they come for the annual smoke alarm inspection. I mean, why can't I check my own battery? No, they got to have government official come in with the landlord, and they all come in together, and they look at your place, you know, which I don't mind an inspection of the place for reasonable reasons according to contract. And yeah, stuff. make but sure that you so haven't trashed it. tossed onto the landlord from external sources. I mean, a decent landlord, any property owner, would look after his property. There's tremendous costs involved. You'll lose your house if somebody's putting a huge grow operation yes. in there because the thing's going to deteriorate. Yeah. Uh, so why do you have to punish un- unless, again, you have, if you have evidence that the landlord's part of the operation and is willing to sacrifice that house for a couple of years' operation, and you've got evidence to that, I don't think you need a special law. It's just part of the operation. Robert, thank you for dropping by today. Always thank a pleasure. You, Jim. And uh, Jeffrey, wherever you are, we missed you today, but look forward to having Jeff back with us next Wednesday. You've been listening to the Jim Chapman News Hour on 94.9 CHRW, and uh, we'll be back tomorrow with Good Lord Willem at 11 o'clock with more news and analysis of the news, trying to make some sense out of a world that is too often brutally senseless. But that's what we do, and we hope you'll join us for our next effort. Unless we're bumped by an American reality show, like Peter Mansbridge. So if 11 tomorrow works for you, it works for me. And we'll see you right here on 94.9 CHRW. In the meantime, as Jim saying, please take care of each other. Mind how you go, and God bless. Bye-bye. I'll just...